A few early stories of importance today. The U.S. economy is throwing some red flags. In the U.K., Boris Johnson gets a yes vote, but the European Union says no. And harmful pesticides are now okayed for use by Trump administration's EPA. In a story from Forbes magazine, Trump says the U.S. economy is the best it has ever been, but the facts tell a different story. The current economic expansion in the U.S. is the longest uninterrupted period of growth in its modern recorded history, a development that President Trump has wasted few opportunities to highlight, tweeting, just last week, our economy is the best it has ever been, best employment and stock market numbers ever. Trump's boasting, apart from the usual inaccuracy, is at odds with the reality of a surprising, fragile U.S. economy. To begin with, while the current expansion may be the longest on record, it is also the weakest. Since 2009, the economy has grown by only 25%, which compares poorly against the much shorter periods of expansion in the 1980s and 90s, which grew by 38 and 43% respectively. Even the new record low unemployment rate is also not what it seems. One key reason for low unemployment numbers is because people are dropping out of the labor force, according to the U.S. Department of Labor. This means that many American workers, chiefly the less educated and lower skilled, have become so discouraged that they have simply given up looking for a job. The economy is not creating jobs that they can fill, while companies are complaining about shortages of skilled workers. As a result, households' finances remain extremely precarious. A shocking 4 in 10 American adults would not be able to cover an unexpected $400 expense with cash or in savings, according to a research by the Federal Reserve. As troubling as those economic findings are, the fragility of the U.S. economy runs even deeper. High debt and low investment are an albatross around the U.S. economy's neck. Corporate debt in the U.S. has reached $9.4 trillion, equivalent to 46% of the GDP. According to the Federal Reserve, which matches the previous peak set in 2007, just before the global financial crisis erupted. Business investment, on the other hand, has remained flat despite Trump's tax cuts, which between 2016 and 2018 roughly cut in half the effective tax rate for companies on the S&P 500. This combination of rising debt and low investment is bewildering given the tremendous increase in cash flow to the corporate sector, which the IMF estimates has doubled the S&P 500 companies since 2010. What has corporate America done with its wave of incoming cash? Mostly buy back its own shares. The IMF estimates that S&P 500 companies spending on their own buybacks as a percentage of assets is double to what it was in 2010. Such unproductive spending props up equity valuations while doing nothing to improve the economic dynamics. 
Why should corporate America load up on debt even as its pockets bulge with cash? Why spend that cash on buying back stock instead of investing it? The answer lies in yet another unfortunate combination. Extraordinarily loose monetary policies and declining business competition. Cheap credit has encouraged massive corporate borrowing. In the meantime, American industries have become increasingly dominated by a few large companies, leading to declines in competition, as Jonathan Tepper and Denise Hearn documented in their 2018 book, The Myth of Capitalism, Monopolies and the Death of Competition. Many sectors in the American economy are slowing oligopolistic and monopolistic characteristics. Companies enjoying such market power become rent seekers, not risk takers. When they do spend, they splurge on share buybacks or on mergers and acquisitions to boost their market share by nipping potential competition in the bud. Cheap credit and a dearth of competition are in turn gumming up the machinery of the market economy. The highly leveraged companies this creates have become one of the weakest links in the economy. Their debt has fed a fast-growing market for collateralized loan obligations, or CLOs, assets that package up the high-yielding loans taken on by companies with poor collateral and uncertain income. This bears an eerie resemblance to the collateralized debt obligations, or CDOs, blamed for triggering the global financial crisis. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell, however, assures markets that the growth of CLOs isn't a serious problem. At some point, however, America's corporate sector will have to wean themselves from its addiction to cheap credit and then that economy's deep and surprising fragility will be exposed. From a story posted earlier today from the UK's Independent, Boris Johnson was confirmed to replace Theresa May, who is stepping down amid the Brexit controversial deal with the European Union. But the European Union shot down Boris Johnson's Brexit plan within moments of him becoming the Tory leader. The EU has shot down Boris Johnson's Brexit plan within moments of his appointment as Tory leader, in the latest sign that the bloc has no plans to make concessions. In an intervention timed to coincide with Mr. Johnson's election announcement, Franz Timmermans, the European Commission's first vice president, told reporters in Brussels that the EU would not renegotiate. Boris Johnson took a long time deciding whether he was for or against Brexit, and now his position is clear, Mr. Timmerman said. I think the position of the European Union is also very clear. The United Kingdom reached an agreement with the European Union, and the European Union will stick to that agreement. We will hear what the new Prime Minister has to say when he comes to Brussels. The bloc has said since last year it would not reopen talks on the withdrawal agreement struck by Theresa May, which was rejected by the MPs three times. 
Mr. Johnson said he would try to use the withholding of payments owed to the EU as leverage to force it back to the negotiating table. Mr. Timmermans had previously suggested that Johnson might not be sincere in his support for leaving the European Union, and he could be just playing games. Ask about those comments on Tuesday, he said, I would suggest that you look at what he's been writing over the years. I don't think I'm telling any secrets when I say that Boris Johnson took a long time to decide which side of the argument he was on. He did that publicly and in letters he has written. More on this story will follow. Previously banned pesticides containing neurotoxins have been approved for use on fruits and vegetables by the Trump administration's Environmental Protection Agency. In the choice between big chemical corporations and ordinary citizens, the Environmental Protection Agency and this administration has made it clear where its alliances lie. How much is your child's health worth? The answer coming from the leadership of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is this, not that much. The EPA Administrator, Andrew Wheeler, this week confirmed what many Americans already know. When the Trump administration weighs the competing interests of corporate profits versus public health, the corporations win, hands down. Wheeler announced Thursday that despite what independent scientists say is a wealth of evidence tying the popular insecticide known as chlorophylls to neurodevelopment damage in children, the pesticide should continue to be applied by farmers to foods that children regularly consume, including apples, grapes, broccoli, and cherries. That decision comes even though residues of the chemicals in food and water are among the exposures known by scientists to contribute to a range of cognitive problems in kids, such as reduced IQ. Studies have shown that even pregnant women's exposure can have an impact on their children. Wheeler said the data showing harm was not complete or reliable and the agency would continue to monitor the issue for at, three, at least three more years. That position contradicts the EPA's stance four years ago when it said that it could no longer back the safety of the insecticide in food and drinking water as is required under the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. The scientific evidence warranted a ban from agricultural use just as the chemical was banned from household use nearly two decades ago because of the known dangers the agency found. The move to ban chloropyrifils from agricultural use was strongly opposed by the Dow Chemical Company, which has been selling chloropyrifils products since 1965. But it wasn't until early 2017 that the company found a sympathetic ear in Washington when Donald Trump assumed the presidency. Dow and its chemical industry lobbyists wasted no time using their money to message and to lean on the new administration with a request to keep the profitable pesticide on the market. 
a $1 million donation from Dow Chemical for the Trump inaugural fund didn't hurt the decision. Dow and chemical industry lobbyists argued that chloropyrifils was a critical pest management tool for farmers and said the science showing harm was insufficient to warrant a ban. The talking points were adopted by the administration even as health and environmental advocates, including the American Academy for Pediatrics, warned that continued use of the chemical put on our country's future generations in danger. Developing fetuses, infants and children and pregnant women are the most at risk. And if the science showing harm to children is not enough to warrant public outrage, there is also a wealth of scientific evidence showing that chloropyrifils adversely affects many critically endangered animals. Several states are already banning or moving to ban chloropyrifils, including Hawaii and New York. Litigation over the issue has led a federal appeals court to order the EPA to issue a final ruling, which Wheeler did early this week. And though the announcement came as no surprise to the scientists and health professionals who have been following the issue, it cemented for many a deep sense of foreboding about what the future holds when science is scorned for the sake of placating a corporate profit agenda. The economic and human health impacts are substantial and real, said Dr. Leonardo Transcend, who directs the Division of the Environmental Pediatrics within the Department of Pediatrics at New York University's Langone Health Center. The EPA's decision to continue to allow chloropyrifils into American diets is emblematic of a broad dismissal of scientific evidence related to human health issues. Attacks on scientific norms are likely to continue unabated, he warned. So here we are. With scientific concerns for the safety of our innocent and vulnerable children on one side and powerful, wealthy corporate players on the other, our political and regulatory leaders have shown whose entries, interests they value most, and it's not the health of our children.